0: There's some things that I've been noticing with uh, and experimenting with, so I can share that if we want. Welcome to GTM Unfiltered, hosted by GTM veterans Judd Borico, Craig Rosenberg, and Matt Amundsen. We make talking business fun and sometimes funny. That's because we're always unscripted, unfiltered, and unlike anything else out there. Get ready. Hey, guys. Good to see you all again. Uh, this time, uh, Matt and I come to you with glasses, and Craig does not have them. It's, it's a sad state of being. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I am actually a little bit shocked and surprised that he doesn't have three extra pair, but knowing Craig, did did you lose them today? No, Um, I have a present. I I was like, it would be impossible.
1: (laughs) I, uh, I have these, but they, they're not that good. So like I grabbed them and, you know, because I've got millions of glasses everywhere, but that is the risk. There are some in my pile that literally, they just don't work as well. So, like, I put these on, and it's better to not be able to see, basically. But I, but for the sake of the, for the show, I will wear these momentarily.
0: And, and, guys, remember, send him, if you know him, or ping us, and we'll, we'll get them to him. Send the craziest, most fun glasses you can. Craig loves to wear them. So, hopefully, we'll get some good glasses for him. Uh, with that, we got some great stuff to talk about today, guys. We're going to do a little bit of fun stuff. But also... Some, con- some things that we're, we're, we're going to discuss is UPS and them sacking their CMO, as well as LinkedIn and Reach uh, and, and what's going on there. And then we might have some other fun tidbits for you. But I like to lead off with something fun. So for me, guys, it is January. It's about that time where football gets real fun. Uh, if you're not a football fan, sorry, guys, but we're going to do a little bit of this i uh have been shocked a little bit by you know who made the playoffs and what's going on i'd love a hot take real quick like who you got for the super bowl like what are you guys thinking who are you watching what's going on there
2: two odds on favorites right now for the super bowl are the 49ers and the ravens which essentially means that 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 will not be the matchup uh in terms of who i think of the two will actually get there i think um and I'm, I'm, I live in the Bay area, but I'm not like a diehard San Francisco 49ers fan. I just don't see them not making the super bowl. Uh, and I could definitely see something falling apart for the Ravens. Um, they have, you know, they have like a little bit of a rotating door at, uh, at running back. And as we all know, this, uh, this time of year, things get real cold. And if you don't have a strong running game, you know, things, things can be a challenge, although they, they have the, Fastest quarterback probably ever. So, so they get by with that, but, but, but we'll see. I think what's actually really interesting in football is like the, the last 24 hours of the like football as a whole new, new cycle has been wild. Uh, when you consider the fact that Nick Saban has, uh, announced his retirement, uh, uh a retirement that seemingly nobody really saw coming. Uh, one, uh, that was announced in the midst of him literally uh, uh, recruiting coaches to come and join his staff. So I find that fascinating, and I'm interested to to dig into that a little bit more. And then the end of uh, a 24-year or 17-year, Pete I guess, Carroll. run for uh, – well, uh, Pete Carroll no, for not- sure, but I was thinking Belichick. Pete Carroll
1: from the top of the headers to the back.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, Belichick and Sabin are sort of like the – you know arguably the greatest college and NFL head coaches uh, of all time uh within less than 24 hours are both out uh and so it'll be interesting to see the way the coaching carousel responds to that so that i i i guess super bowl it's a little early for me to start thinking about uh but i am like very curious to see you know what this does to the overall landscape of college football because Whomever ends up taking the role at Alabama, like, first of all, God bless you for taking for Nick Saban. Good luck. Uh, secondarily, uh, what does that mean if, say, Dabo Sweeney leaves Clemson to come to Alabama, who then becomes the next head coach at Clemson, who then becomes the head coach of the school that was vacated to to take the, the Clemson role? It's going to kick off a very, very massive uh, carousel there. So so to me, that's, that's the thing that's fascinating. Is it like the actually
1: the more interesting sort of question is, um, with that too is like, is it better to take the job at the school with the most resource, like an embarrassment of riches, like Alabama, but you follow Saban, Which that is like a recipe for you can't, how do you even six national title or what is it, six national titles in 12 years or something crazy like yeah. that? can't match that so is that actually a good job you know like the Patriots what if Jim Harbaugh took it
2: yeah Craig and I talked about that yesterday they're definitely going to back up the truck for somebody big I think Harbaugh is going to end up in the NFL my prediction would be that he's the next head coach of the Chargers but uh Hmm. Craig that is the right question to ask like do people want that there's such massive shoes to fill and if you just do okay, that is the one of the you know five or six schools in college football where that is not enough. You actually have to win a national championship every year. That is the standard that they that they've created there.
1: Yeah. It's way better in my opinion. Like the Patriots right now are down. So yeah. like yes, you're Belichick, but you have time.
2: Yeah. And picks uh, and I, draft I
1: mean, picks. Yeah, I mean it's just, you know, so it's like uh When you, it's even, you know, like, and the reason I bring it up, I mean, there is not as many sort of highly visible ways you can uh, do that in the business world, except the guy, uh, Scully, following uh, Steve Jobs was a disaster. We do, you know, there is, we do see a bit of that uh, in the business world, particularly when you follow an iconic
2: Mm -hmm. leader. Yeah.
1: and um, Even though things at the time when they pushed Jobs out were broken. Uh, which would mean like that would be opportunity. That was a tough follow. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, for me, it's like I'm a builder. I prefer things to be a little bit raw um, when I start. That that's sort of my role. I wouldn't. I don't. I don't want a job where even if I got paid a lot, my uh, my upside was to keep the train rolling the same way, right? Which is like uh, it's fine. Like the more likely outcome is that you can't. Even if you do pretty good, you can't match what that previous person did. That's pretty. That's a tough. That's a tough task. Yeah, they're going to agree to
0: to your point too. You come in at the top, even if you do win, they're going to have an asterisk, right? Is did you do it? Did he build the team before you? Uh, How much of it was what Saban did before you walked in the door? Because I could see that as well. You know, I mean, to this day, it's very. Like, think presidential, uh, you know, stuff. It's it's, you come as, oh, he did it before, right? People say that all the time. It was what they did before you got there. And I can Mm -hmm. see that being a big conversational component of it, too. Like, even if they do really well, you give them credit.
2: Yeah, Um, yeah. You won with his recruits. You won with the stadium, the facilities that he fundraised to build. All that stuff is is the real challenge. Um, So, yeah, it's, I mean... I guess I'll put it this way, if I had my opportunity, I would much rather jump into the job that gets vacated by the person who takes the Alabama role than the Alabama role itself. That that's just yeah. that's me. Yep. Yeah.
0: And let me they, just throw this this one out because we did start on NFL. We have the two returning champions or or you know, Super Bowl teams that nobody's talking about. Any thoughts?
1: I don't even know who they were. Who were they?
0: <laughs> Eagles and Chiefs.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Chiefs won it. Eagles were the runner-up. And then the Eagles have now fallen from glory. So, you know, it, what I'll say is this feels very similar to business in, in, in some ways. Like, like big ups, big swings. Like this has been a year of a lot of crazy stuff happening. And it feels like we're seeing that in sports and all over the place. And maybe they have no direct correlation, but I do find it interesting.
2: No, I agree with you. I think uh, if your sales are struggling, don't hire Matt Patricia to be your next sales leader is probably a good lesson to learn from from the Eagles. Uh, they went to him as their defensive coordinator and their defense has gotten worse. They feel like they're in a tailspin that they're not going to get out of. And if you're an Eagles fan, I apologize for saying that, but I'm sure you feel exactly the same way I do. The The... The Chiefs are interesting in that, like, if you if you made an analogy to the Chiefs in business, you might look at, like, OpenAI and everything that happened with Sam and say, like, oh, geez, like, that thing looked like it was spinning out of control. But because he's at the helm, that company is probably going to be just fine. And I feel the same way about the Chiefs. As, as long as they have Mahomes at quarterback, they'll probably be okay. Uh, some of those wide receivers are just going to need to catch the ball. What's interesting is, like, if you – if we transition off of uh, off of the NFL and into what's going on at UPS uh, with a change mm-hmm. in leadership there, um, good transition, you know, <laughs> we're working on our transitions this year. Um, it's interesting to see that they are replacing a CMO with somebody you know existing on their team. But like sort of I think they're just kind of calling it something differently. So it's interesting, like, they're like, oh, we're eliminating the CMO role, but like this person is sort of uh, stepping in to to, to to perform all that tasks under a different title, which is, um, which is, in my opinion, not an elimination of the CMO role at all. It's just, you're just calling it something different. Um, Craig and I, for years, talked about the rise of the role of the CRO, and like, was that just a grown-up? VP of sales who wanted more of like a C-level title, or was that somebody who is truly capable of, of, of joining everything uh, revenue related um, and, and pulling it all together for one single cohesive strategy from like pipeline generation all the way through renewals and upsells? Uh, to me, this feels a little bit like that. At, at UPS, whereas, you know, there's somebody who's coming in to to lead strategy and, and commercial. And it's just, it just feels like they're playing, you know, uh, pin the tail on the on, on the name of the role, as opposed to like, actually, you know, drawing a line in the sand and saying, like, the CMO role is no longer interesting. Um, so I'm guessing that it's got some sort of, you know, impact on like, shareholder shenanigans or things like that. But what's What's true about UPS is like their brand is so deeply engaged engaged in like the the, you know the the general day to day people walking around that like you know what is this person gonna do other than just try to pull together some different strategies around how you wield some of that brand narrative that's that's the way I think about it.
1: I just want to make sure, like, because I don't understand. So maybe the audience. So the did the so UPS announces that they eliminate the CMO job.
0: Yep. The, 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 the person it. leaving, They basically they said, hey, they, they said that uh, they had a 13% decline in revenue in the third quarter. We're going to make some changes. CMO says he's leaving end of the year, and they said, we're not going to use that role anymore, and then elevated somebody to president and uh, global strategy and transformation chief commercial and strategy officer. Longest name I've ever heard, but it mm-hmm. sounds like a unification of a lot of roles.
1: Okay, so he's going to run multiple things, including marketing. Yeah. yeah. Like
0: but they're not even calling out marketing, which is the interesting part to me here, that I'm eliminating a role with the title of marketing, bringing in somebody who is really strategy and commercial, and then saying, we're not going to replace somebody to manage and run and strategize for the marketing component and to what you said matt i i maybe it's right maybe it's a they're still really going to and they're just not having the title but it feels very much like either a there's two ways that i'm seeing it it's either a unification of revenue saying like hey if you took the CRO title saying i don't really need a cmo i just need a vp of marketing right and said we're going to manage revenue and work together as a team maybe that's the way they do it or and I don't understand how a company like UPS would say we don't need a CMO or we don't need marketing. We know marketing is imperative to their business. What would be the impetus to say, why even have somebody there? That's that's where I'm a little
1: torn. But Matt, were you, were you saying that but what, what was your like overall taste? So now that I understand that, I appreciate it. So does UPS need a CMO? Matt?
2: They definitely do. And I think this person is going to be that that role i think that they are just calling Uh, it something uh, different uh, and i think that they are you know i i don't have a lot of thoughts on ups other than like more often than not what gets delivered is amazon or fedex to my house but whatever what i think is 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 happening here is they are taking a positive pr spin around like yeah this person's leaving and like we don't even really need a cmo we're going to focus more on these things Uh, whatever these initiatives are and i don't know what they are The thing that I do know is true from from time spent at a software company that was uh, a supplier to a lot of or or a vendor to a lot of logistics companies is UPS is very, very far behind on the technology curve in comparison to FedEx. And uh, so they're probably thinking like, we really got to get our shit together uh, on the technical side. And that may be why they're thinking, hey, we need to do less marketing. We need to do more work internally to modernize our business. And they don't really see that as a marketing objective. Um, one of the things that's interesting just as a potential trend where things are uh, are going in, in B2B in general is more and more of... Uh, more and more of the systems that we use to, to, to engage typical MarTech stack is moving into critical infrastructure and CIOs are starting to have a little bit more control over those products. So it may be a move that sort of supports uh, a shift in, in how you know the, the marketing infrastructure is built, deployed and measured. That, that, that could be the case. Uh, and then as they make their way through that, they'll bring in a CMO to do a better job of storytelling because it does feel to me like UPS could use like a narrative refresh um, because I don't know. I just I feel like uh, it's been a long time since I saw a commercial about what Brown can do for you.
1: Yeah. So number one is a uh, line to the audience is not cool. And you think about UPS all the time. And so that was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Call me it'd be like 6 30 in the morning dude i've been thinking about ups and like it. just i looked at their financial filings here's what i think uh so uh so well it's like the, i don't think anybody in our audience cares about ups so like there's a bigger i mean there's a bigger point number one is this is a terrible move i'm sorry i don't like there's like the it's First of all, the I, I you know I got to go read read the article so they you know revenues down fourteen percent so let's fire the CMO and let's bring over someone who is responsible for revenue to go head things is like a classic I don't understand the CMO the way I think about it though is there was a moment and so the if you think about the original CRO narrative which came from uh, what was it the revenue management the system that Marketo yep. and Eloqua tried, and they said, well, you know, you need one person to own everything. And that was the original definition of the CRO. Now it is like you own all revenue. You, there's also a CMO. Thank God, by the way, because yeah, agreed. that was terrible. And by the way, it didn't work at their organizations that they were in, they were bringing it up. But the big example for me was like, so there was a moment. So I think Forrester picked this up and like my buddy Dana Theron was writing about it. like, they're going to the CRO is going to own everything and sales is a roost and all this stuff. And I remember I was, you know, I was in the analyst business, so I was getting people that were bringing it up to me. And I'm just like, it's not going to work. I mean, it'll work is if you, you know, if you do want the sales leader to own marketing, great. Just get your budget ready because you're going to have lots of events in luxury yeah. boxes at sports stadiums as your demand. gen. it's yeah. just they don't there's so much that goes into marketing that people don't understand. And so the best example was Cisco. They made this big deal. They got rid of the CMO, like, and they had this person running it. And now Carrie Palin's not just the CMO. Dude, she has like closers in her org. Like it went the other way. Yeah. So it didn't work. Right? And then they bring the CMO and she's doing so good. She owns like inside sales, doing, you know, so you know, it's 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 like that was a perfect example of like, oh, well, why do we need a CMO? And there's this intellectually lazy, like part of the uh CEO world where they don't understand marketing. And so they they they've all it's always been an issue. And like, uh, but the truth is it doesn't work. And especially now when brand positioning is like part of, it's clear that it's part of winning. Because there was a moment in time where you the sort of CRO thing sort of came to life where we were so demand centric that you can make a living with moderately good brand, uh, but just by getting, you know, just getting so many leads, you know, like the volume lead thing where it became really demand gen centric. So it made sense. But now if you take most of our audiences in tech, uh, it's hugely competitive, hugely crowded. And in order to be successful, you're going to need traditional CMO uh, activities. Right. So like we've seen this before. They try it. UPS will like you said it at the end, Matt, you said, well, they need a new storytelling refresh. Well, it's not going to come from someone who doesn't hasn't done 30 years or more. I'm sorry, like they, it's like it's it you need the CMO. And if you're and I'll just go back one second on UPS, one of your favorite companies of all time, one that you track yeah. and follow constantly um, is uh, they'll they'll have a CM. I mean, you this will it won't crater them, but if they're falling now in Mindshare, this is not going to help. Right. Yeah. And, and unfortunately so. But like so I've had this question now where people have brought it back, like, should I have one person on uh, sales and marketing? And to me, the answer is no. And no. And then no. And it, it just it's because we don't understand what the CMO is doing and like unification, so to speak, um, comes with friction, that friction can be good. Yeah, if, if there's a leader at the top, which is the CEO. And like, so you have, you do have silos, you do have functions, but like they have to work together in the unification area, but that doesn't mean they have to be in the same group. And that that's just like, RevOps is another example where it's like the original, like, terrible thesis on RevOps was that, you know, they should own all ops. It was just a, like, I remember when I first, I, there was a, a guy I was working with on a piece, year, you know, a couple of years ago. I won't say where, uh, because honestly, like, I just don't want him to figure out I'm talking about him, although I I kind of do. It seems like, well, it's an a, it's an efficiency thing. You know, you bring all the opera. And it's like, I uh, I was working with one of the big Fortune uh, 5 tech companies, and they tried to merge together. Every, they took that sort of RevOps thing as everyone in one ops, and it just like the shadow operations just went wild right yeah and it's like the same thing like groups like the marketing department is the marketing department and they are sure there's plenty of cmos that aren't doing great stuff but a lot of them are and you don't understand it and like they have to make their own decisions on the marketing automation they have to make their own decisions on um these things and they have to lead in the branding department so like just this whole idea when they, when Judd sent out the UPS article, articles, I'm talk about, I'm like, Oh, I can't wait because it's terrible. It's terrible. It's a bad idea. It never works. You can't find you t- you go someone I hope reads this and comes back to me and hear it worked. And guess what? It'll be one. I love that. Maybe five. All right, fine. You got five, but not widespread, man. Like it just doesn't work now. Early stage, like, you know, uh, until we get all the pieces in place and we're not ready for a full C-suite, so to speak.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, but like,
0: well, one, one thing I'll say though, and, and I think this is, this is critical. To your point, yes, I don't believe that most C-suite who have not been in marketing understand what actually marketing is, how it functions, and how it actually drives the organization forward. So when you put someone who's never done marketing before – into a position to lead marketing, what do you expect to happen? There's no way it can succeed. Now, there are outliers, of course, right? I mean, you can look to six cents with Latin going from CMO to CRO. If you've carried the bag and you've sat in the marketing role, maybe, maybe. But I do think, like, why am I going to put someone over all of revenue and then have them report to the CEO, right? When I can have. It's two people versus one. And ultimately, you still have two people. It's like adding an extra layer for absolutely no reason except for decision making. And ultimately, the CEO is the decision maker anyway. So I've I've always struggled with this too because it seems that when they put someone into a CRO role, they're taking a sales background person and elevating. And that's fine, but not if you want them to also own marketing. It just, it like, how do I get a salesperson who's never done marketing to suddenly own a function that they don't even understand? So I'm with you 100%. I think that's a a, a lame brain move. Um, And I think that we're probably going to see some CRO, what the CRO role it really is over the next five years or so start to shift a bit. Either some companies might get rid of it, some might just evolve what it is. Most people these days that I talk to say CRO is just a, glorified like you know vp of of sales maybe i don't know we're gonna find out
1: but well yeah no i don't think anybody's on the part of look most people are not rolling marketing into the cro and they're just uh, all revenue that's actually working great but i do there is one nuance sorry to i'm gonna i'm gonna disagree with myself in tech there is a use case for having a president who is a go to market overall or a previous when our CEO is highly technical. Yes. The face of the program that actually is, is, is good. Uh, what the, the, so I'm going to just all, everything I just said for 20 minutes, I'm throwing out the door. No, I'm just kidding. No, but that, that is good. But that the issue is, is, uh, you have to, that case, actually the hiring around marketing becomes a really big deal. Um, yeah. And like, mm-hmm. uh, and so I guess next time we can tell you about. It, I think there's been some CMO to CRO moves lately, and we'll have to see what that looks like. Because mm-hmm. I, I mean, we should let that play out a little bit and see how that goes. But anyway,
0: yeah, um, we, we, we can always get into the whole like, is the CRO now what the president was too? Because they're serving the same function. But that's another I, thing. I think one of the I, things that we no, also I, said we we're going to talk I, a little bit I, about I, is
1: I have a session on UPS because Matt can talk a lot about what's happening. And you I just love this massive- <laughs> He's going to mess with you the whole the whole time. Oh, you know I, Go. He was right um, when he said, guys, I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it. Yes.
0: But, but he had a lot to say. Um, yeah. One of the big pieces that, that I'm hearing a lot now, I am on the platform, we're all on the platform, LinkedIn, uh, seems to be that as of late, and they've made the announcement that they're changing the algorithm to basically deprioritize reach and optimize for activity connection whatever. Uh, I'm on the platform, you guys are. What I'm hearing and seeing from all the people I know is they're a little bit upset. Now, I have a hypothesis, and maybe this is a great entry in here. I've been doing some research and looking at what is doing well and what isn't. And it tends to be that the things that are I talking more personal, individualized things tend to go off and get reach. Got a new job, uh, what I did when I was an executive, things like that. Things that are business-focused and trying to pontificate or be thought leaders, downregulated. My hypothesis, throw this in, throw this out, is that they are now trying to optimize to keep people on the platform by getting the individual's visibility, talking about what they need to, downregulate business activity so that they can charge more for ad spend. Just my take. I'd love to
2: get yours. Yeah. Uh, I Come mean, in. I think... I. I, I Sure, uh, I think that's a that's a that's, you know, maybe a conspiracy theory. Maybe maybe you're dead on. I, I, I'm not sure. I think in general, what we've seen over the course of like I don't know forever is that brand con- brand content or content that comes specifically from from a company's uh, LinkedIn always has performed pretty poorly in comparison to like the CEO, CMO, or maybe if it's a product led organization, the the chief product officer or VP of product. Uh, individual posts have always outperformed. And, uh, and so like that doesn't come as a big surprise to me. I think the thing that I've always noticed and I've tried to like hack the, the algorithm, um, you know, for, for, for quite a while is yes. If I post that, I've got a new job, it's going to get a ton of visibility, but like, also, that's a really easy thing to like, you know, like, hey, you got a new job. Sweet. Good for you. Congrats. I like that. And then the more people who like it, the, you know, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think uh, when it comes to advertising, I'm not sure that there's a lot of people that would tell you LinkedIn advertising isn't good uh, or maybe or, or, or that they don't employ it as a part of, you know, any number of, of go-to-market strategies, be it ABM or volume-based Uh so, so, so maybe, but I do think, uh, there have been a ton of success stories of people who, who create, you know, their, their brands just off of the, the sort of organic reach of, uh, of LinkedIn. And if LinkedIn is, uh, on, uh to your thesis, like, uh, trying to, to down, downgrade that so that people spend more in advertising, I think that's a massive mistake by LinkedIn because, um, I I don't go on LinkedIn to be advertised to Uh, the ads that resonate the most with me on LinkedIn are the ones that I cannot distinguish from organic posts. Um, uh, So, so I think that that would be a huge mistake. I think the casuals will, will, will spend less time there if, if they're not getting greeted with, with content that they are used to being greeted with. Um, So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with your take, but I don't disagree with it either. I, I just don't have enough information. And LinkedIn has never really struck me as the type that is like that, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of nefarious by the, the way they will the algorithm, but.
1: Jed's on a LinkedIn conspiracy Reddit thread and that's where he picked it up. Uh, <laughs> it. I'll give you something though.
0: So conspiracy theory or not, I mean, my, it's a hypothesis, whatever they definitely made the announcement that they've diminished your reach that is they said it it's not me so we know that happened what we don't know is why certain things are performing the way they are because there's some people who seem to be getting reach my hypothesis i basically tried to support it i looked i did some research and then i started posting based on what i thought would work Uh, if anyone wants to look yesterday i did a post and i focused on i what i specifically now post before where i did not do that i had no reach Yesterday was one of the better, uh, better performing mm. uh, posts that I've had in since this has happened. So I tried it again today. Of course, I used Craig's face. Thank you, Craig, uh, and the same exact result. So I do think there's something here. To your point, I don't think they're nefariously trying to just screw everybody, but it is a business. They are looking to make money, and I, to some extent, I do think that there's an AI component playing here where they're looking for certain words and types and sentiments but that's my guess craig you're you're on there too and you get a lot of reach so i'd, I'd love
1: to hear your take they're not they're not it definitely wasn't my face that they i was looking for pickup <laughs> look i i don't we don't know i mean look the, the net net is i remember years ago when uh I remember when google would change the algorithm and it just had all these ripples and we had all these seo guys that tip it and they just i remember like Scott pulled them all in a room. He's like, all right, what are we going to do? They're like, nothing. I mean, we're going to make the adjustments, but what else are you going to do? That's the thing. On LinkedIn, like, it is the only place really working for organic. I mean, John Miller is like, he's basically starting his company just like Scott by going on LinkedIn and writing uh, deep posts. Now, the the two things I want to mention. One is, you know, when we talk to Scott and you look at it, he's like, you don't know. You have to just, that's why he went to posting every day. Cause he's like the ones I really think are going to hit don't. And he's like, I just don't, you just got to keep going. And he's like, if I get one out of the five during the week, then that's a win. And he had some takeoff. They got picked up and he got a million views and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think I actually, I think both things can be true. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, we're all just trying to figure out the algorithm there in terms of like AI and advertising. I just want to let you guys know that Twitter or X or whatever serves me bra ads for the 70 plus crowd on yeah. every time I go there. It is unreal. Why did I get that? And like, someone's like, oh, Craig, what are you looking at? Dude, I'm literally like the most, I mean, I didn't even know you could do anything bad on Twitter. Like I'm looking at, I do all my sports takes. I mean, you guys, yeah. I don't, many business takes on there. And so like, what, like is the sports crowd really in the 70 plus bras? Cause like, that's what I get on Instagram. I, I got, I, they've been serving me. Well, I actually, for Christmas, like I went through and looked through, you know, the ads that were serving me, I bought a bunch of stuff for my kid. Cause my guys look at basketball and mountain biking the whole time on Instagram. And so like, I, got it had a pretty good uh, set of feeds there, but look, I, I would just say this. I think the main message is we're still learning, but, uh, your CEO and founder or whoever has to be on LinkedIn. I mean, freaking Snoop dogs on LinkedIn. Like, you, 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 and what you have to do is what Matt said is you have to unlock storylines that people care about. And in some cases, you shouldn't care about reach. Like, I, you know, I was, I'm working with a CEO on LinkedIn strides. Like, if you get five people, you know, is a highly targeted that you care about that saw it, they wouldn't read it if you sent them an email.
2: Yeah. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. I think the, I think the other thing that's true is like, there, the more specific you get, and the more you're talking about either the category you serve, the less engagement you're going to get because it's niche. It's not widespread. We all know the posts that we could put out right now that would get the most engagement possible. We could have a conversation about what marketing automation system is best, what sales engagement system is best. Is it the end of the you know sales development rep? Uh, you know, should sales and marketing all unify under a CRO? You could post stuff like that. You'd get a ton of traction on it if you wanted to, but is that serving you and your business? Probably not. So the more yeah. in the weeds you are about the category that you occupy, the way less traction that you're gonna get, especially initially, you're gonna have to build that audience over time, just like any other audience that you wanna market to. You know what we should
1: do, Matt? It per that point, I think this will go hugely viral. UPS or FedEx, uh, which one do you choose and why? And we'll we'll do a brand study off it. What do you think <laughs> of
3: that one? <laughs> well, I luckily, know what I brand say, can
1: last, do for you? That is the last guy. Yes, it's just so funny. And like, and now I've just I can't. The thing that everyone needs to know is. You think I'm teasing him, but I'm actually it, it can't get out of my head that Matt was like, I'm not exactly a follower of UPS. I'm, just sitting
2: there going, I'm gonna update my LinkedIn UPS. skills.
1: There's there nobody that follows UPS except for the fi- some financial analysts in on Wall Street, man. It's pretty funny. Anyway, but we do LinkedIns in our face. So that's a good topic. But Jen, I think the I didn't see the one with my face. I saw the one that was yesterday on the founding tips. Mm-hmm. The thing that you might find there too is those sort of bigger sort of leadership topics might play uh you know to a wider crowd as well fun fact on this i'm doing a podcast i think tomorrow and one of the guests is i think his name's adam robinson and i remember he's been writing about sdr stuff his business he's a ceo of a SaaS company that has nothing to do with sdr stuff and like uh brandon short uh called it was like hey man why why do you keep writing about sdr he's like because it gets tons of man. yeah he figured it out you know so it's like oh my god it's funny well hey when people
0: think of social as you know a true funnel like hey that's top of funnel man you want to get awareness there we go um so guys awesome conversation as always awesome guest as always things are amazing we're great we love you guys thank you so much for being here we've got some great stuff coming up Um, But we're still waiting to hear more from you guys. Tell us the topics you want to hear. Send in stuff. And of course, send Craig great, amazing, crazy glasses. Uh, Craig would be happy to wear them. He loves to show them off. And with that, thank you guys for always for joining us. We love you all. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode.
1: I'm very excited to have a fun and insightful conversation um, with today's guest. Uh, you know, he spent years in sort of uh, big tech and small tech, right? He yeah, Salesforce and Yammer, became Microsoft, spent a lot of time at Microsoft. But like the way I know today's guest is because we worked together at Topo um, and spent time, you know, both on the analyst side. He was a analyst on the sales team uh, sales practice, studying sales and revenue, and then uh, led sales at Topo as well. And so we spent a lot of time together on airplanes, uh, uh, <laughs> airports, and on calls all the time with folks. But there, so, but the why is he here today? Because basically, he's spent you know God knows how long here, sort of studying the AI market, in particular around uh, sales and marketing. And you have a new newsletter, which is, um, it's great. It's called Deep Funnel. And we'll have like the links to it in the show notes. But it's uh, it's awesome. Honestly, it's awesome to have today's guest. And uh, I'd like to welcome Neil Harrington to the show. So Neil, welcome.
3: Awesome. Thank you, Craig. And you didn't even like insult me once, uh, degrade my name at all. Like I'm, I'm excited to be here.
1: Oh, in the show notes, a producer wrote, "Please don't insult Neil and in, it early on. Please do it much later in the conversation." Um, so uh, I will be insulting you momentarily. Actually, let's see how this next question goes, and then we'll see if I insult you. Um, so, what I like to start everything is uh, I like to see if there, we have a surprising insight. In the way I'm, tr- you know, by the way, I continue to try to modify how I'm asking this, but the idea here is like. Is there something today that the market believes is right or is happening or is a best practice and they're actually not thinking about it in the right way? What is that and what should they be doing about it? And, and I'd love to start that with you and like, let's uh, let's see where it goes from there.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's like the ultimate Peter Thiel question, right? Like, what do you it's believe that no one else? Does, right. I, thought I was
1: um. the creator of this. Damn it. All right. Well, Peter, <laughs> you, know, you got to me first on that one.
3: Uh yeah so here's here's my hot take on that is that every company that's going to be releasing AI features in the next year or so you know they always you you AB test the feature right i believe that it's going to massively underperform whatever feature it's going against in those AB tests and i'll even put a number on it but i think that that's, that's huge right so it's they're trying to release they have a product today and they're like oh we're going to augment it with AI they go do their AB test and on it, it's going to massively underperform the sort of incumbent feature that they have today.
1: Got it. Okay. So like, um, so the, the way they're doing it today without AI will still outperform the AI driven features, what you're saying?
3: Exactly. Yes.
1: Why why do you say I'm, I'm, I can see it, but like, what, give me the rationale behind that.
3: Um, Because I think it's already starting to happen and I think product folks are being quiet about it because they don't want to be the first person to announce it to either tank their company, ruin the round of funding, like get get the street bad about it. Like, I think that's already happening and it's going to be more clear as time goes on.
1: Okay, but then what? Like, is that a short-term issue or is that a long-term? Like, are you advocating then that... uh, for the world of startups where I live, where like the most likely disruption or AI driven way of doing that particular feature function or use case will come from uh, a new player versus the incumbent? Or are you saying it's just gonna take time for the incumbents to do that? Or are you saying AI may not be the answer to that particular feature function or use case?
3: I'm saying that the way that people are sort of approaching it today, with sort of delivering a prompt, getting that prompt back, and sort of slapping a quick fix on saying, hey, like, this is a Gen AI feature. Let's go. We're now cool with Gen AI. Like, those features aren't going to, to perform. And so what it's going to take is a new incumbent and a new way to think about it. And it's not going to just be a point solution. It's going to be, hey, we have to really think how we redo all these workflows and how we approach this
1: got it okay but did you mean to say a new incumbent or did you mean to say a new company I meant like
3: the I mean like the feature and like uh so I meant like the feature in general and then the way that's gonna be rethought about it is a new company's gonna come in and disrupt so it's, it's it. two things so like when people are thinking about their uh features today they're like great we've got this website landing tool to just be very generic we're gonna do gen AI to make it better and like when they go to push it out push it out into their products right like a quarter of the users are going to get that to see if it's really taking off, and it's going to massively underperform, and the results are going to be horrible. And they're going to be like, "Oh crud, we need to scrap that feature with the Gen AI and just leave our traditional one up. Let's think of a different way to approach this problem."
1: Got it. And then when they have the different way, then we're talking about that's when we're going to have some serious breakthroughs from incumbent software. Is that? is that yeah well and then we're gonna that, see there'll be new companies that will come in and solve for this is that you know
3: exactly. round two? yeah yeah that's round two and that's when like things are in the enterprise space really going to take off because we haven't seen true enterprise things take off outside of you know sales sales copy email and stuff like that right like we haven't had huge success in sales marketing yet yeah
1: interesting yeah. So, um, I think that's surprising, although some people might argue that that's, uh, I don't, I, I think that is surprising, you know, cause that is like, there's this thing where, you know, I'm sort of in the startup world, right. And people will say, well, what if so-and-so do- decides to do it? And what right. you're saying is, don't wor- I mean, not, don't worry about it, but like, you know, since you're building it at the ground up with an AI method, you you have this, you have this shot to win that uh may seem like it would be more difficult because the incumbents are out there and they can go do that. But it, it's more likely that they're going to fail.
3: Right. And like, think about like, you know, how Figma disrupted Adobe. It was it came across as a workflow platform from day one. And so they were able to sort of think about design differently. And so now you're going to start to think about AI differently as opposed to just doing whatever we're doing faster that's kind of what we're doing today. It's going to be a total disruption on how we think about outlining those tools. Oh,
1: that's cool. All right, that was a good start, but I think actually it had, you know, a lot of times when I ask this question, it's got a ton of uh, different sort of routes for you, but I actually think that's nice and tidy. I think that makes sense. So I'm gonna ask you something else. So one of the things about your newsletter that I like is, it's pretty simple, right? You typically have what, three articles or things that, You've sort of found or discovered in your research during the week, um, and so let's take that same sort of methodology. But let me ask you in general about AI and, like, you know, what are three big things that we should know or be thinking about in the world of AI? And uh, I don't know. Well, actually, I'm just going to leave it there. Let me see how you go with this, and let's. There. And, and no, I have it. I still we're like eight minutes in. I still haven't
3: made fun of you. I. That's got to be a record, honestly.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. I, I I made a uh, New Year's resolution that 2024 I'm going to break records on myself. This could be one of them. Normally, yeah. just when, for the I'll make fun of Neil 30 seconds in, or I'll just call him and start making fun of him, and then I'll be like, "Oh, okay, well, thanks." Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, so this will be good. Maybe maybe it'll come in in the close. But anyway, all right. So back to the, um, you know, what what, a, what what would you how would you answer that?
3: Yeah, number one, this is going to be the year of the vertical. So like we'd already had vertical SaaS sort of take off, but this is gonna be the year of the vertical AI companies. So up until now, there's been no vertical uh, uh, AI companies really take off. I can think of maybe one, and that's Harvey in the legal arena. But we, the ones that have really taken off have all been horizontal apps, right? Obviously uh, uh, companies like Reggie or Copy or Jasper, those were all very sort of uh, horizontal driven this is the year that we're going to actually start see vertical AI takeoff.
1: And do you, for vertical, If you are you defining that from an industry lens or could that be functional? Could that be, or how, how are you thinking about it?
3: Yeah, I was definitely thinking it from like an industry lens, right? Okay. Uh, you know, right. Procore is the darling of vertical SaaS, right? Everybody wants to be the next Procore and still doing very well today. But like now you're going to start to see AI companies go disrupt like medical billing, insurance, like all these other small things.
1: We're not small. God, it. Further. I mean, not niche, niche. Yeah. So like, so basically we saw this. This is crazy. I swear I had something similar to this conversation earlier, which was we saw incredible, really great, frankly, some of the most impactful disruption was in vertical SaaS. Right. Because it totally. forced, it, you know, everyone else. I'm like. Because it forces the vendor to understand the market. You know, oftentimes we go in and we're like, no, you have to understand your buyer. When you go horizontal, you know, that you're looking at roles. I mean, maybe types of companies, but like in vertical SaaS, you had to like dig deep and understand your market and who you're selling to. So we already saw a disruption here, which was to move them off spreadsheets and file cabinets. And now what you're saying is there will be a new wave of vertical disruption, and that will be one of the more successful applications of AI.
3: Yeah, because, uh, and, the, and the biggest thing is think of like workflows, right? Like if you're a medical billing, and I don't know why I'm harping on this, but it was sort of the bis- best example. It's like medical billing. You have all these words and codes that are hard to sort of sift through, but being able to sort of build a customized workflow through AI and through Gen AI of understanding what the next processes are or building dynamic processes as it goes, that's going to be huge because typically today, you've got thousands of consultants sort of sitting in the back office, like creating workflows or creating different things. But with Gen AI, that sort of all gets eliminated or can be eliminated and you can start to see, you know, really, really great breakthroughs on that.
1: Okay, so that's one. All right, what's number two? All
3: right, uh, number two is, we've been talking about it for a minimum of a decade. Edmondson will probably rip on me and say, he's been talking about it for 20 years. Uh, but we're we'll finally, he's already, he's already going after it. AI uh, alerted
1: him. So he was well prepared to make fun of you. So anyway, go ahead.
3: <laughs> uh, uh, website personalization. But I think this is the year that it actually starts to take off. And it and it makes complete sense, right? Like where did all of this sort of uh, Gen AI stuff start, right? It started with YouTube recommending your next video that you wanted to see on Facebook on what the next post was to get your aggregate minutes up. And like, if you go to a website today, it still says, oh, here's a bunch of, you know, buy roll and here's a bunch of blog posts that you don't care about. And it doesn't serve you anything that you actually care about. Or if you click on something, there's no real good suggested next item of what the next thing your feed needs to be. People are spending thousands of hours on TikTok because it's figured out so well what the next thing you need to watch is and YouTube and all these consumer apps. And when we go to a business website today, it just still presents a bland looking website and some bland uh, uh, content. And it doesn't like move me anywhere if I look on a certain piece of content. Hmm.
1: Okay, I like that one. That's definitely good for the go-to-market unfiltered audience. Is there, I mean, uh, is there anybody you feel like is on their way to doing well with that now? Or is this an anticipation of like a, a perfect storm of like putting, you know, AI in play in the marketing side?
3: Yeah, I think it's I think it's a perfect storm. Like, there's been vendors that have always popped up, and they've sort of promised this, but I don't think it was real. But whenever I talk to my marketing friends, my demand gen friends, I'm like, "What's on your top three list for this year?" They're like, "I'm trying to think. Like, my boss wants to do website personalization. We think that that's going to help drive top of funnel and and drive better sales leads. And so that's what I'm thinking about this year. And they and I said exactly what you asked me. Like, well, what's the vendor, and they're like, "Yeah, we don't." We Don't have a vendor, we're trying to scrape together three or four tools and it's not working.
1: Interesting. All right. Well, yeah, I'm gonna be curious what Matt has to say about that one. Uh but yeah, that makes total sense, by the way. I you know, there is a bunch of stuff in the in sales and martech space with the advent of AI where we can actually do things we said we were gonna do. Like I, I you know, the the customer journey thing, that was pure right. consulting for years, right? I was one of them, by the way, it's like, well, you got to outline the customer journey and figure out what they want. So we would go, you'd hire a consultant, or you would do yourself, you create this beautiful picture. And it was insightful at the time. And then you tucked it away. And you went and did the same thing, because you didn't have the ability to make the adjustments that um, that were required. Well, a it was hard to identify the customer. And oftentimes, we did it on Uh, old school segmentation rules, right? They were sort of still big groupings of people versus like the AI can see consumption patterns and do a better job of understanding who the, you know, the person is that's, you know, doing this, you know, web searching or consuming your content or whatever. And so like, you know that and I talked about it with Brinker is the same thing. It's like that thing can move off the shelf, and you can actually do things now around the customer journey or or helping craft that in a really relevant and personalized way. That's that's huge, right? And like it, this personalization in ge- in general was like this, and it's still you still see it on LinkedIn. You know, it's like ah, oh, you got you know, why aren't you personalizing? That's why your things are there. doing. Well, it's hard. That's why. Right. And like for years, you didn't have to. So we talked about it. I was up there 2013 with like this personalization slide. Remember that one? And I had this email that like, I think Emerald Maravilla, Maravilla did at, at, um, you know, early SDR work, And she wrote this amazing email to Howard Schultz. And I went around showing it to everyone because she got a meeting, right, right. when 24 know, year old kid gets a meeting with Howard Schultz. And it's like, um, I went around the world with that thing. And then I realized, oh my God, there's like 5% can do this. And by the way, it yields one meeting. Like, you know, and so like it was the right thing, but it just couldn't be done at scale. And what you're, you know, I, so I do agree like the timing is right now to to actually do the things that um, that we wanted to be able to do. You know, my biggest fear on that is the amount of content that needs to be created because you don't want to fill it with, AI created content just in order to suit like the journey needs of this per, uh, of this particular persona or however you are going to define it. Um, but we'll solve for that later because I mean, right now we can't do anything. So if if what you are saying is true, which I think it is, is you know this is coming, then you know we'll, that will create a whole new set of problems. But there'll be good problems to have.
3: Yeah, but even for a medium-sized company, they've got enough uh, blog posts and SEO content and things that they're looking for. And even like help content, I think there's enough out there, even for a smaller-ish company, to be able to drive real, real behaviors. And I, you know, I was on uh, an investor website, right? And I was looking at some uh, trends. And the next thing it wants to show me was like oil and gas uh, future trends in 2025. And I'm like, there could not be a more boring subject for me that I never want to see in my life. And, but they had fantastic software stuff and I had to go dig and search and find, and it took me 10 minutes just to find the next article. And so I I think that there's enough out there, but yeah, I don't, I think enough people are already trying to create enough, uh, BS, uh, gen AI content. We don't need more of that. Don't do that. Yeah. All right, cool. All right. Uh, that was a good one. Number three. So this is a little technical but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with it. We're gonna start to see different LLMs for, for best suited for the process. So today, and I'll explain a little bit. So today, you know, people have used a little bit of OpenAI or then they've gone off to uh, another one for performance and dollar reasons. Now we're gonna start to see real tools bring in all these sort of uh, really, really niche tools. So like for account research, let's use that. Today, everybody's like, oh, I can go to uh, you know ChatGPT and do my account research. And you know from someone that's been selling for 20 years, I'm like, yeah, I can mostly do the same thing in, a, in less amount of time. It produces okay results. But when you mix LLMs together, so use ChatGPT for just you know, what does Cisco do? And then use FinChat, which is an LLM, for what are the performances and find that 110K uh, interesting insight. And then use perplexity to browse LinkedIn to find me who my buyer probably is given who I am and just memorizes that. Those three or four different things. Now it starts to com- complete an account research that's totally tailored for me and is actually useful as opposed to just sort of you know regurgitating some really high level stuff that everybody keeps showing on LinkedIn.
1: Okay. So you got me excited in the tail end, but I missed like, what's the Uber point Say that again, because that made total. That, that's exciting, right? Um, that, what, what yeah, I
3: think so. That we're going to use different LLMs. Like we're, we're going to be proficient in Normal. many different LLMs, bringing it together to figure out what we need to go use it for. And so it's going to sort of commoditize these LLMs around. Because every day is just like, oh, I'm going to go to ChatGPT. And then like 5% are like, oh, I've got this other one that I've sort of used that I should show you. And I think that it's gonna be no longer just like, oh, we go to Chat GPT. It's like, oh, we're gonna use these three or four other ones, bring them together, and that's gonna make something really exciting.
1: Got it. Okay. That was technical, but the example you gave made total sense, right? Um uh, so those were three good ones. I th- I mean really good ones. I you know, I'm I think like generally speaking, if I summed up, I do think on number two, uh, even, you know, the website personalization is a big one, and then everything else, right? Like, so there's, that's, you know, there, that's a great start to, and we've always wanted to do that. So I love that. The third one on the different, I think, you know, we're all still learning on that. So I think you're a little bit ahead of the game on that. And, but it makes total sense. And I think it'll be okay. Right? Like, you know, in the near term, but then you can start a company and bring those things
3: all together into one place. But uh, yeah, I think it'll be—I think it'll be a really cool tool.
1: Uh, all right, we got one more minute. I can just ask you this: What is the most interesting thing you're seeing today in sales and marketing? Go to market. Anything interesting out there for you?
3: Yeah, it's really it's it's a little niche, um, but like using. Uh, so ChatGPT just released its marketplace. The marketplace is, at least to be desired, sort of the app store, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, but companies are releasing a fine-tuned ChatGPT model to sort of be a product-led to suck you back into their real tool. So you can go there and find like a sales and marketing and say, hey, I need a landing page. And one will pop up and it'll, it'll say, hey, here's a landing page. Oh, by the way, you know, this is built by this company. You should go see the rest of our, so I think that's a really interesting, unique way of, of sort of advertising.
1: Dude, that's great. So, I mean, you just go to that. Uh, wh- where do you go to do what you just it, said?
3: Yeah, it's the ChatGPT marketplace. And they've got thousands of different little niche ones. They've got one for wine lovers. They've got, you know, one for whatever dog lovers. and You can ask about your dog and they've got ones. They've got ones for sales and marketing. And one of them, I was like trying to th- build a landing page. So I went to this one and it was building a landing it was like hey build me a landing page I work for this company and I'm trying to sell to this company build me a like personalized landing page and it built me a landing page and it was like oh by the way you know we have a whole suite of marketing services you should come you should check out our company
1: <laughs> That's awesome man I love that by the way as we go on chat gpt in the last episode matt i was so excited because i looked something up on chat gpt and he's like well that's great because it's 2024 it's good to meet someone who still hasn't used it and I was a total <laughs> so actually look at that at the end of this the only insult is on me by a guy who's not in the interview so so there you go that is a record um all right dude that was awesome thank you so much i'd love to as you sort of uh, in your research on what's happening out there, we'll we'll bring you back on and you guys you can give us updates. And you know the Deep Funnel newsletter is awesome, so you people can pick up the. You know, I think I would describe Deep Funnel as like you're out there doing the research, and when you find good things that you like, you just put them in there. And so we get to see some of the cool stuff that you're finding. So I love that.
3: Yeah, I built I built it for like an audience of one, selfishly, right? Like I'm curious about go to market. I love go to market. I love sales and marketing, and I'm doing this stuff anyway, so I just kind of keep collecting it on my on my computer. And then at the end of the week, I'm I'm sort of just summarizing everything that I, I learned that week. And so then I, I started publishing it and thankfully, you know, lots of people have subscribed. So it's been, it's been fun.
1: Awesome. All right, bro. Thank you. And we'll we'll see you again.
3: Thanks.
0: Thanks for tuning in to GTM unfiltered to hear our innovative insights and strategies. Visit gtmunfiltered.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time.